0: Welcome to Building Sustainably, The Road to Net Zero, a podcast by RPS. Achieving net zero carbon requires a transformational shift in the way we plan, design and build. But as the 2050 target edges closer, significant challenges lie ahead. In this podcast series, we aim to tackle the key issues head on. We'll explore real life case studies and provide actionable advice on how to define, design and manage net zero projects and programs. In this series, we focus on the decarbonisation challenge facing owners and operators of large property estates, a challenge compounded by ageing infrastructure, limited funding and competing pressures. Here to make the complex easy, I'm your host, Chris Lavery. Working in and around the UK public sector for over 30 years, Sean Hansen is no stranger to delivering changes and knowing what needs to be done in planning ahead to build a better future. Currently, the Chief Executive Officer of Empower Consulting. For the last six years, Sean was CEO of Local Partnerships. Before that, he was Managing Director of Citizen Services at Serco, and there in his career, Sean spent 12 years at Camden Council, followed by spells at Ferrum Council, Liberata, HBS Mooshell. He's a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy and also holds a qualification from the Institute of Revenues, Ratings and Valuation. We discussed with Sean his new role at Empower and how they're helping organisations implement and achieve carbon reduction. This involves the challenges and solutions of short and long term planning and the societal changes needed on a human level to bring greater good for the environment. Welcome, Sean. Great to have you with us. Really keen to hear from you in terms of what you're currently doing and your organisation. So I think if we can just get started, it'd be really good to know more about yourself, what led you to your role in Empower and what they do.
1: Thank you, Chris. Great to speak to you. So I'm Sean, Sean Hansen. I've worked in and around the public sector and particularly around local government for over 30 years. (laughs) And my current role, I joined relatively recently, I work as chief executive of the organization called Empower, relatively new there and very, very excited with the things that we're involved and engaged in. Empower works with public sector organizations, most commonly with local authorities and our simple message is that we want our clients to achieve better outcomes that cost less. It helps its clients to deliver sustainable, measurable change in complex systems. We've designed a unique toolkits called Edgework to make this happen and we're really excited to be applying that approach to the most complex of complex systems climate change.
0: Yeah absolutely so as you say Sean you know we've known each other quite some time very much based in the public sector so you've seen a lot of change sure. so what do you think about the current support and guidance that major services have available to achieve net zero carbon?
1: Well, I think up until the point that I joined Empower very recently, I would say that, particularly in my last role, it's mostly a place-based organisation rather than people-based. And within that kind of environment, certainly while I was there, I pivoted the organisation into very much a climate change-based organisation and the response to climate change the work we do at Empower it is more sort of delivery of change, I would say 80-20 delivery of change. And so consequently, it's more focused on people, its behaviours, sort of social care and health and the integration of those services. And the thing that we really look for in terms of that strapline about better outcomes costing less is that we actually care really passionately that there is actually a tangible impact for the work that we do. It is a different kind of consultancy. And to answer your question really directly in terms of the thoughts and the current support and guidance, I would say, well, actually, to be perfectly honest, we all know that the right level of support isn't there at all, but it isn't just about support and guidance. We have to mention funding. The funding isn't flowing into those areas in a way that we would expect. I think it's fair to say that my experience over the last couple of years is that things are starting to change in that in terms of net zero carbon, That has been the focus and mitigation has been the main focus of what certainly public sector and local authorities have been focusing on. And there's been quite a lot of activity that I've been engaged in and helping to drive and drive strategies around the race to net zero. But thankfully, more and more action outside of just that race to net zero is taking place and there's more, more public authorities are thinking about adaptation as opposed to mitigation. You look at extreme climate events that are just becoming more and more common we will need to adapt. And so there is quite a lot of new thinking that's going into that will becoming sort of the area that will get more focus. The area that I really particularly want to get involved in, and it does involve both net zero carbon and it does also involve you know, sort of any adaptation work, is that hardest bit to crack of all, which is around behaviour change. And that takes a very special kind of leadership and is, is possibly the hardest thing to approach. Okay, it
0: sounds fascinating. I know we're going to dig into this a little bit more in terms of behavioural change. But before we do, just coming back to the local authorities and SMEs and the financial side, where do you think the money could come from and, and is there anything more that councils can do in terms of trying to help the SMEs?
1: Yeah, this is the really tricky thing is that councils, when it comes to their interaction with SMEs, through LEPs, through working with various different bodies where the private sector kind of interfaces, they can do some influencing. But but frankly, local authorities are not set up to be able to directly fund SMEs. And so they can be involved in guidance and in nudging and in providing leadership and support but I think where local authorities are lacking information is potentially even knowing who their SMEs are, knowing what data there is about the carbon use and the carbon and emissions that local SMEs have. And we have, as Empire, produced quite a lot of data that's been very useful for local authorities to understand who are the SMEs in their areas that they really should be having conversations with? Who are the ones that just the slightest bit of adapting their practice and adapting the, the, the way that they work and providing incentives for could make that fundamental difference in their local areas to those, particularly those emissions that are, sort of, uh, that are produced by those SMEs. So I'm not sure there's particularly a lot of funding available that would help with that. But those authorities that are being particularly successful are at least finding out who in their areas are the ones that they need to be talking to and influencing.
0: So definitely about guidance and awareness really more than anything else? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I would say so. Okay. So what kind of things do you look for when getting involved in a project or with an organisation?
1: I think we would expect and would want to see that that organisation has some kind of ambition. That's the first thing. They have to actually want to achieve a difference and have a different and better outcome. and. So the converse of that is that when somebody gets involved with us and we can see that actually they're ticking boxes, they're not really ambitious for sort of shifting the needle, changing the dial, that's kind of a very difficult place to operate in. We would choose probably if we had a choice of partners to work with, we'd go for the ambitious ones. You have to have conditions for success. And for that, has the public authority we're working with, have they set a target for their place? Have they? An ambition for their own council or for the whole place or the whole county or for the particular sort of market segments in their area. So, if they've actually got a, a climate ambition, that helps because you know what your conditions for success are and you know what it is that you're actually targeting. So, again, we would look to find somebody who is in that place. We can bring in the data and the science that affects that change and. I think also we would be looking for somebody who would know how to use that data and recognise the difference between short-term versus long-term programmes of work. The work that people will be doing around net zero, people doing around responding to the climate emergencies, you have to foresee the course of work that plans ahead for the next 50 years. You're not planning ahead for until the next election. And again, in terms of the question that you've asked in terms of who we would like to get involved in. We like to see that ambition being something that is medium and long term, not just for the immediate future.
0: Okay. And can I just ask you about, you talk a lot about data and the science. What sort of data do you look in terms of data capture and, you know, the role of the organisations you work with in in how they facilitate that? Or is it very much your organisation that goes and does that?
1: There's information out there that you can derive from and you can make assumptions around in terms of, using existing data and being able to present it in a way that can show where particularly around emissions and energy use is in particular areas what we've got is access into organizations which compile that data and we just present it in a way that allows us to be able to show benchmark information for our local authorities so that they can understand that where they sit where the local organizations sit within their relative peer groups and so on and so that again gives them the target gives them something to reach for
0: very good and do you i mean you talk about programs of work long and short term do you see your role as being very much short term to influence the longer term or do you see that you're working with organizations over a long term
1: clearly we do form long-term relationships we've got some very long-term partners but the fundamental purpose of our organization is not to create dependency our the purpose of our organization is to to be able to help organizations understand how they can influence and make change happen for themselves so that kind of knowledge transfer is really important for us there is something about over a long term somebody taking a role to keep checking back in to make sure that people are on track because with the long term you know this is a somebody who understands the duration of a long-term project and program you will understand that you can quickly go off track if you don't keep checking and monitoring the progress and so we do like to, at the very least, if we kick something off, we do like to check back in and make sure that that impact is sustained.
0: No, I think that's good. I mean, it avoids that dependency culture, doesn't it? It does. But at the same time, it provides some checks and balances. For sure. So in terms of examples, can you give us any insights into where you've already helped with your approach and to decarbonisation with any organisations? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think the first work, again, this is before my time, first work that we did of this kind in this environment was probably with Kingston. And we helped the council there to review its progress to date on its strategy, clarify its place, leadership, ambition, sort of actually set out And when I said that it's really good to work somewhere with ambition, actually checking that that ambition was sort of a shared, shared ambition and one that they were all aligned and coalescing around. So, we helped them to design their plans for their new administration's programme of works that came from all of that ambition. We've worked with London Councils to help again with the ambition around a pan London programme of works around climate response. We're currently working with the County Councils Network on uh piece of work, which is you know, sort of strap nine shifting the needle, which again is trying to work with a range of authorities on what works in terms of behavioural change and, and changing culture around responding to the climate emergency. And we do activities with chiefs and sort of other senior people within local authorities in particular, looking at climate psychology, looking at, just to give you an example of the type of thing that we would look at, is sort of surfacing the impact on young people, for example, who are, as a consequence of the climate emergency, for example, choosing not to have children. and There's a point I suppose I should make really here, which is about climate leadership, the need for authenticity, the the fact that we need to be authentic about our leadership, which can be difficult. And the reason why I say that it's difficult is usually whenever you're demonstrating leadership, you want to be positive. You want to be really, really positive about the way that behavior change can impact. But actually, there's a lot of really negative messages with climate change. There's a lot of negative things that you kind of almost need people to understand the severity of the issues that we're facing, which can be quite negative. And being authentic with that negativity but also extremely positive about the potential for change is something that we try to work with as well. So the works the groups that we're working with and in relation to your question, they all seem to share that ambition, which is to be really, really realistic about the need for change but also, wanting to be very positive about the fact that we can actually achieve it.
0: So it's, it's really a very different approach to the technology approach that we see elsewhere. So I'd really like to just ask a little bit more about the behavioural science and how it's applied to the decarbonisation programmes. So if you wouldn't mind, just explain a little bit more about how it's applied.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I was involved in a discussion just in the last few days with some of my colleagues who were Referring back to a council that had, for example, made a choice, a cabinet had made a choice that at one of its sessions where they would usually put food and meals on afterwards, they'd made a change. And that change was they weren't going to serve meat at one of these cabinet sessions and that that was going to affect behaviour change. And a response from the team of people that I work with who are behavioural scientists was just horror because that's not behaviour change. That's restricting. Access to things which actually tends to create a backlash. And if you're doing and using behavioral behavioral science and behavioral psychology, you need to understand that there's a difference between restricting people's access to something and actually persuading them to do something different. Those are two very different things. And so the type of thing that attracts us and I would use as kind of an example of something that's really quite interesting. And it's actually, and I'm very happy to follow up by giving suggesting links to it. I think you can Google it under TED Talks for Alex Lasky, How Behavioural Science Can Lower Your Energy Bill. Fascinating TED Talk about how behavioural science can apply to climate change and net zero and particularly around energy reduction campaigns. And if I can steal Alex Lasky's kind of premise for this TED Talk, it is that he referred to a piece of research that was done in the United States several years ago, where it was done in the United States where they chose four different messages to go to a local community to, in effect, affect the amount of energy that was used in those four different areas. They used four different messages. and The, the first message that was used was around just basically, you will save energy, you will save more money if you turn off your air conditioning and turn on fans. That's the simple message. The second was, it was an environmental message. So it was like, save the planet, use less electricity. The third was actually appealing to the fact that if we continue using energy in the way that we do at particular times of year, we're going to get blackouts. So save energy. And in every single case for those three different messages, you, could, you would look to and probably guess as to which is the one that was most effective. In actual fact, none of them were effective at all. The context around moral guilt or guilt around saving the planet didn't work. The idea about, you know, sort of, we're all in it together around blackouts, please help sort of reduce black, didn't work. Tell you what worked, what worked, and then tangibly so, so that it actually did reduce the costs and reduce the energy usage, which is the fourth message, which was turn on your fans, turn off your air conditioning, because... of your neighbours are saving money as a consequence of this. And that simple social pressure message actually had a huge and tangible impact. And this is the point about behavioural science is that it's not necessarily the things you think will make the difference or shift the needle or change the dial. You need some science behind it to understand what really motivates people to change their behaviours over a long term. And in this case, Social pressure, it turns out, is the most effective way of achieving that kind of change. That's what we love getting involved in. And that's the kind of research that we like doing with local authorities.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. Absolutely. So I suppose that nicely brings me on to my next point, which is the challenges that you've faced using behavioral science when looking to help organizations reach net zero. And I think within what you've just said, it gives you an idea of of some of the, the issues that you will face.
1: I think the challenges are the most obvious ones. And I think I've probably already mentioned one or two, which is particularly, I'll start with the lack of authenticity. If you don't believe in this, if you aren't credible, if you're trying to demonstrate leadership around this stuff, but you're actually not thinking it through, that whole point about the cabinet reducing the meat, there's a principle there, but you're actually not bringing people with you. You're not being authentic to co-producing an answer with people and trying to help help shift the needle. And so consequently, the first thing I would say is the challenge is You need to be authentic. And if you're not authentic, try and find somebody who can be. You can't just ride the wave and assume that because you've just kind of caught up with everyone else and you're kind of just behind it, that you're okay. You just need to have somebody who's passionately credible, who can lead. The second point I would make on this is that there are sort of quite unintended consequences and sometimes contradictions that you find when you're providing and demonstrating leadership. So I'll give you an example of a council I worked with some time ago. And This council had had a mandate where, around its waste collection, the politicians who were in the leadership position basically said, "We have given a commitment as part of our manifesto that we will not change the way that we do bin collections. You will still get weekly bin collections, and so that's something that we promise to you because that's the service that you expect from us." Same council, while I was working with them, made a commitment, a huge and very aggressive and very very powerful commitment to changing its response to the climate emergency, wanted to be one of the greenest councils in the world. And when I had a conversation with one of the leading politicians and said, do you not understand the contradiction of what you've just done there? You have just committed to being one of the greenest (laughs) councils. And yet you're following a waste policy, which is probably very, very old fashioned in terms of it is not promoting recycling. It is not promoting reuse. It is not promoting anything other than committing to continue to send stuff to landfill there's a contradiction there you need to work that through and i think again to the challenges it is i don't think there's a single politician who made that commitment to the green agenda who understood that they were contradicting themselves but there is that need to think through that type of thing and i I would say just in finally in terms of the challenges we can fiddle around in the edges and some of the small nudges can lead to bigger nudges, but actually the truth of it is, is you need to go after the stuff that has the biggest impact. This is an emergency, this is a crisis, and we do need to make sure that we make a fundamental difference. So it is leading on those things that do make the biggest impact, and that can involve sort of going two steps rather than one step in terms of affecting that change.
0: And in terms of contradictions, Sean, do you find that you go into some organisations that have made commitments to net zero carbon and climate change based on peer pressure? Without really having a clear understanding of what their plan will be or how they'll action it?
1: I think so. Yeah, I mean, I've come across quite a lot. And SMEs find this difficult, actually, if I'm going to be really honest, which is that there are some very large corporations that I would say have got sustainability offices and thrown a lot of money and could actually genuinely turn around and say that they have people in senior leadership positions whose children have convinced them, they themselves have been convinced that there is action that is required. And they can actually spend the resource being able to begin to change and, and influence the way that they work. SMEs find that much harder because they don't have the resources to be able to dedicate to that. As you know, with an SME, you know, you've know you got somebody who is trying to manage the organization, keep the finances, and there's not quite so much specialization or funding. And so there are organizations that unintend- completely in an unintended way do have those contradictions where they can release a statement that says we are dedicated to carbon neutrality. And yet, when you look at the behaviours, for example, i give giving a classic example, organisation dedicated to sustainability, still paying as part of their package for people who are joining the organisation as a salesperson, they will give them a company car. Do you not understand the contradiction of what you've just done there? And I think there is a degree to which people need to think through all of their policies from the context of what it is they're trying to achieve.
0: Now, that's really powerful. And I suppose to take that a little bit further in terms of what you see then in terms of relationships between local authorities, other service providers in regions, schools, universities and hospitals. What do you think about that? Do you think they could do more?
1: Well, yeah, quite simply, local authorities and the leaders at local authorities, both in the sort of leading officers and also the elected representatives, they are the place leaders. They are the people who are in effect, touching into pretty much everybody in the area's lives. And so consequently, they have to be the conveners. They have to be the place leaders. They have to have that and build that inclusive vision. In terms of convening what happens within those areas, of course, they should be building and supporting other major services, other public sector organisations, other organisations, including private sector organisations, but certainly the schools, universities and hospitals. They should be working together on a plan and convening a region or county-wide or council-wide response to the climate emergency again you can get contradictions between different organizations that you kind of scratch your head and go did you actually talk to each other about the impact of what it is that you're doing here and i think local authorities should take that leadership role with other organizations in their area but again they need to demonstrate leadership they need to demonstrate ambition and they need to have that authenticity
0: that brings us back to the guidance point that you mentioned earlier on Mm. Yeah, it does, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So, Sean, one final question for you. If you were to leave one piece of actionable advice for our listeners today, what would that be?
1: It's very, very hard if you're going to actually take a singular thing for an individual to do. There are many things that you do. I mean, I I have my own personal kryptonite, which is that (laughs) I still like to fly. And I would love to be able to say the single actionable thing that you could do is fly, but not fly. The one thing that I have done is... I remember very distinctly being asked by someone, you know, would you think about having an electric car and going that one step further? I'm very fortunate. I live in central London. I gave up my car. I don't need a car. And this is where I talk about the scale of your ambition. I've had a car since I was 17 years old. I'm like chained to my car. I own my car. I love my car. And it would have been lovely to have bought an electric car, but I challenged myself and said, how far can you go down this road? And I actually gave it up. And that was a real wrench. I don't miss it and so consequently I feel somehow that I'm making my own personal contribution and rather than picking one whether it's not flying whether it's choosing to eat less meat whether or not it's actually doing something about giving up a car whether it's being a climate leader doing some training and persuading other people state from the side of the crisis that we're in take one thing and do it for yourself but my one thing was to give up the use of the car.
0: Now that's really strong I'll be honest with you that's a major step probably beyond many people, but fair play to you. So listen, Sean, that has been fantastic, really insightful. It's given us a very different perspective on things to some of the other discussions we've been having. So I'd just like to say thank you very much for your time and also very best of luck in your new role with Empower.
1: And I wish you every success. Thank you, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely to see you.
0: Lovely. Thanks, Sean. All right. Thank you. Building sustainably, The Road to Net Zero podcast is brought to you by RPS. To find out more about RPS and how we can help your organization achieve its net zero targets, visit rpsgroup.com. And then make sure to search for Building Sustainably, the Road to Net Zero in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click Subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And finally, on behalf of the team here at RPS, thank you very much for listening.